0: Hey there, welcome to the Favorite Church podcast. We are a church for imperfect people who wanna know God and make him famous. In this episode, we'll be hearing from our senior pastor, James Aiden. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Are you happy to be in the house? So great to have you all here and everyone that's watching online as well. Welcome to Favorite Church. We're excited because we are back in person. Physical. This is great. We're all socially distanced. A lot of us have our new uh, faith over fear shields on as well that are currently just pulled up at the moment. So uh, that's good. But it's so great to have you here. And I'm just excited. I'm just happy to be back. And I'm hoping that that's the last lockdown that we're going to have uh, forever. And uh, we're, we're waiting to hear good news. We're waiting to hear uh, from Crown and the local LGU in Kazon City, but for seniors over 65, the IITF made an announcement that if you have your vaccination card, you can come out uh, and, and do it. So we're just waiting for clearance from Crown. So we're really hoping next week, uh, so some of you, you don't need to dye your hair anymore and uh, stop lying to the guard downstairs, you sinner. But um, <laughs> it's okay. Coming in the house of God is worth it. and And so that's really cool. And as well, the integrity movement. So uh, if you don't know what that is, that's okay. It's actually not a favored church thing. It's not favored church. It's, it's actually not even a Christian thing. Uh, it, now, secretly, f- we're running it, but, uh, but it's open to everybody and anybody that cares about this nation and wants to see corruption die, it, it, particularly in the political environment. Uh, you know, I've got such a heart. I love this country. Um, it's interesting because some people, uh, you know, You know, some people grow up in the Philippines, and and you're Filipino, and it's kind of like, eh, okay. Uh, But maybe sometimes it takes a foreigner to actually come in to to maybe just rile up people and, and, you know, make sure remember that this is the pearl of the Orient. And uh, and this country has unbelievable possibility uh, if we stop settling for the way it's always been. I was talking to someone in the political scene even just a couple days ago, And he said to me, he just goes, man, this is just always the way it's been done. And my heart breaks when I hear that comment. You know, every great revolution that's ever started around the world has started because a group of people have gotten sick and tired of the way it's always been done and have wanted to make a change. And, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying revolution. We've had, we've already had that. We don't need that again. But, but what we need is we, we need to rise up people from every area of government, from the local barangay all the way up to the office of president, people, whether they're Christian or not. I don't even care if they're Christian. That's the whole point, but they have a passion to see corruption die and to see integrity rise. And you don't even need to be a Christian to believe in that. Right? It, it, it's easier if, it, if you are, but you don't even need to be. And so, this is something we're starting. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm hoping it becomes so much bigger and better than anything we could have dreamed of. And we'll really see uh, God move within it. And we'll see our country rise up. Amen? Wow, this is white guy talking about our country. Hey, so today we're starting a new series. And I'm excited about this series in our church. It's timely. Our church for very specific reasons, but today the title of the series we're doing this in Taglish and in the English services is This I Am a Leader. Everyone say, "I I am a leader. I am a leader. I love talking about leadership, I love talking about Jesus, I love talking about sex and relationships and God's design for it, and I love talking about leadership not just in church but in life, in every area of our life. Uh, years ago, it would have been nearly seven, uh, about six years ago, my wife and I, uh, we had given birth uh, to our, our baby, Hope. Don't you just love how husbands just say that? We have given birth like we were, hey, we were a part of the process without us. There's no baby. And so uh, we, mostly Kate, had just given birth uh, to our daughter, Hope, and she took a couple months off work. She was working full-time, took a couple months off work, and and a few months later decided... Uh, that she was going to go back to work, and so we we put Hope uh, one day in childcare, and then we had other friends of ours uh, called Dan and Rach, and they had a little baby girl called Macy, who was about three months or three or four months older than Hope, and so we did a deal with them where on a Tuesday we would give them Hope, uh, and and then not like the child, not you know Hope, but the child, we would give them the child on Tuesdays, and they would look after Hope, and then on Thursdays they would give us their little girl, Macy, and Kate would would look after uh, Macy. It's kind of like, you know, a student exchange program, uh, except with children, children exchange program. And and so we did this. It worked awesome for us, saved us some money. And also, you know, these are our close friends. We love their daughter. And so one day, we'd been doing this for uh, probably a month. And one day on a Thursday morning, Kate said, hey, listen, I've got to go. I've got a meeting. So I'm going to need you to look after uh, Hope and Macy just for, uh, you know, an hour or so. And obviously our friends really trust us. And I was a little bit nervous. Now, I wasn't nervous because I'm an incompetent dad. I'm not one of those dads. You know what I'm saying? You know, an incompetent, you, you, you know, there's an incompetent dad when they describe looking after their child as babysitting their child. Right. Have you ever heard a dad say that? what were you doing? I was just babysitting my kid. No, no, you weren't. You were fathering your child, right? So I'm not an incompetent dad. I'm hands-on. I know what I'm doing, but I'm good with my kid. Now we've, you know, we've brought a new equation in. It's it's another person's kid, and I'm a little bit more nervous because with my kid, I can drop my kid. It's okay, right? But another person's kid, you got to, you know, use makeup and everything, and it's like... Right? So I'm a little bit nervous. Anyway, Kate goes out, and so I get the two babies together, and, and I put them in their high chairs, and I give them their food, and I put them in front of a, a TV screen. well, oh, oh, you're one of those parents. Yes, I am. And so I put them in front of a TV screen, and they watch something called Praise Baby right? Not Nickelodeon, praise baby. And it's, it's these wonderful images of kids and, and nice colors. And it's actually, it gets them thinking and sparking in their head. Uh, and, and it's Christian songs, you know, how great is our God, Sing, sung by babies. It's beautiful. All right. So they're there. And, and in that moment, Macy's eating. All of a sudden, Macy, uh, with her food, gets it and just throws it on the ground. And then I look, and Hope looks over, and Hope would have been maybe six or seven months old at the time. She looks over at Macy and gets her food and throws it on the ground too. And then Macy starts crying. Hope looks at her and goes. Right? I get really angry. Told you, in my household, we talk about leadership from a young age. I went down, I went in front of Hope. I said, Hope, listen to me. There's two types of people in this world, leaders and followers. I said, if you're... Some of you think I'm exaggerating. This is literally how I spoke to myself. To I don't care about the other kid. Her, her, Their parents, her problem, right? That's not my problem. I said, there's two types of people, a leader and a follower. And if you're going to be a follower your whole life, you're going to do things that you don't have a conviction from, and you'll just be a sheep being led in the blind. You need to be a leader. Stop copying. Be a leader. Stop crying. Pope's like, right. But from a young age in our house, we talk about leadership constantly. It's amazing. Like I love leadership. I love to speak on it. And I'm doing this series in our church for a very specific reason, because at the moment we have way more sheep people coming into our church than we have shepherds, leaders to care and to love for them. It's a great problem to have as a church. Nonetheless, it's a problem that we have. We are a growing church, but at the moment, we're not a strong church. And we need to actually raise up leaders. And why is that? Because I believe that the call to follow Christ is actually a call to leadership. To be a strong church, we need followers of Jesus to step into their calling. And this calling is not just for the gifted or the talented. This is for everyone. This is what Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says in first chapter, verse 26, he goes, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose weak things of this world to shame the strong. Isn't this great what Paul says? He goes, listen, I'm writing to you. And and he begins to use their personal stories. He's going, hey, when we were first called, remember, a lot of y'all, you, you didn't come from a good family. You weren't that smart. You're pretty dumb. A lot of y'all had issues. But it doesn't matter because God sometimes uses the things of this world that seem foolish to actually make the smart people seem foolish. God can flip it around upside down. And so the call of leadership, it's for everyone regardless of your upbringing or your circumstances. And this is when, sometimes in church, we hit the wall when we begin to talk about leadership. One issue that we have when we talk about leadership in our church is that everybody has their own definition and definitely their own experience of leadership, whether it's in a work environment, a family environment, or a church environment. And in this room and watching online right now, we have the full spectrum of people here, from people that have had really wonderful, amazing bosses, incredible pastors, great leaders in the church, all the way to the other spectrum where we've had people that would, would have gone through what would be considered abuse, spiritual abuse, been under controlling, manipulative bosses or leaders. We have a full spectrum. And so the moment that I say, hey, leadership, all, all of a sudden everyone has their own idea and their own opinion on what I'm about to talk about. And so in this series that we're doing, and uh Willem and Paul are gonna be preaching with me with me as well in this, is that we wanna make it really clear. What we view leadership as in this house, and I'll just give you a heads up, it's what the Bible says. We don't don't have some weird thing on the side. It's what the Bible says. We believe in the Bible. We believe that, that we don't even need a leadership book outside of the Bible. Now, leadership books are good, and we're reading them at the moment in our leadership team, but the Bible gives us all we need to know about what is good biblical leadership. But again, the problem is everyone's got their own opinion on what it is. In fact, there's over 850 different definitions of what leadership is. It's a lot of people with a lot of opinions. But do you know what leadership is? Simply? Like if I could find the most simplest definition of it, it would be this: Leadership is influence. Leadership is Everyone say, "I am a leader." Come on, even the cheap seats at the back say, "I am a leader." I am a leader. Why does everyone get to say that? Because of this reason: Every single person here has at least some sort of small influence over at least one person. Leadership isn't just about leading thousands. Maybe your call of leadership is to lead the one. Maybe your call of leadership is to influence the tens or the twenties, the fifties, the hundreds, maybe the thousands. Maybe some of you in our church, your call to influence is to influence the millions. Use my code, right? Whatever it is. Maybe that's your call but we all have a call of leadership because we all have influence over at least one person. And the challenge for the follower of Christ is to recognize that our influence is not just about temporal things, but it's actually about eternal things that have an eternal consequence. And so when we talk about leadership, each one of us has been called to lead. A couple of months ago, we We preached a series called Deep Teaching, one of my most favorite series I've ever done. A bunch of people left the church. It was great. And we talked about this deep teaching, what's the deepest teaching in the Bible. And and our text that we came from, the, the foundational text of the whole series was Matthew 22. And someone had come up to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And this was the answer of Jesus. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, love love God. That's the greatest thing you could ever do. And then the second, which is like it, love your neighbor. In order to love your neighbor, you need to have influence over them. So Jesus here is not just telling us to love our neighbor. He's actually giving us a call An invitation to have influence and to walk in leadership over our neighbor. To recognize the call of leadership that Jesus has given us as his followers. Everyone say, I am a leader. leader. Some people get scared when I begin to talk about this, like I mentioned before. Because they start freaking out about me talking about leadership because they've had a really bad experience or a bad example of leadership. I can tend, can sort of tend to see who they are because the moment I said leadership, some of you start, 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 going like this in the middle of the service and all of a sudden you, you have a filter that the moment I say leadership, you have a filter that you have because of bad leadership that you've had in the past, whether it's a boss, manipulative, like I said, unfortunately, so many people have experienced bad leadership inside the church where they've experienced manipulation, they've experienced control. One of the hardest things for people to heal of and move on from is when they've been under dysfunctional, manipulative, controlling leadership, especially in church. And it breaks my heart to see people that have genuinely given their all, but they've just encountered an imperfect person that maybe was never trained properly, maybe had some own stuff going on in their lives, maybe just never had a a great teaching on on leadership or, or, or really didn't have a great conviction, or maybe they were just a bad person. And it breaks my heart when I see people living injured and living wounded because of the hurts that they've encountered in the past. And I want to say this straight up. There's people here and there's definitely people online that you've got this filter right now and you're listening to everything through this. I want to encourage you just for these next few minutes that we have together, let go of the filter. Let go of that and just say, okay, God, I, I want you to begin to speak to me. I want you to, to begin to, I want to unlearn everything I thought about leadership and the leadership. And some people talk about church leadership like we're the mafia. Oh, the leadership said this, the leadership's decision. Oh, the leadership, right? I'm, I'm not the mafia. I'm not the godfather. I'm not. I'm just James. (laughs) And so today, this is what I want to do. I want to look at what the Bible says. You know why? Because especially those that have gone through pain with this, I want to encourage you. Stop making people in the future pay for the mistakes of those you encountered in the past. So let's look at the Bible. Let's look at what the Bible says leadership is. My, my first thought is this. Biblical leadership is servant leadership. This is, this, this is straight up there. I'm not waiting to the end of the sermon. We're just going to start with it right now. Uh, biblical leadership is servant leadership. To be a Christian means that our goal is to follow Christ, to become like Christ each and every day. More and more, we are becoming like Jesus. And Jesus was the best at everything. If you read the Bible, he was the best. He was the best at fasting. He was the best at preaching. He was the best at catching fish. I mean, this guy, what abilities? Preaching and catching fish. No one was better. He was the best at casting out demons. He was the best at walking on water. Nobody else has walked on water as good as Jesus. He was the best at healing people. He was the best at rising from the dead. No one else got a holiday for rising from the dead. We celebrate a whole week in the Philippines because he was the best at rising from the dead. You know what else he was the best at? Leadership. He was the best leader. How do I know that? Not because he stood up and he gave leadership, great leadership principles. I I said this in the first service. I shouldn't have said it. And I shouldn't say it again, but I'll say it anyway. I. What drives me crazy, not drives me crazy, I just don't bother listening. I don't listen to people who have great leadership principles to say but have never lived it out. I don't want, to, I don't want you to tell me what John Maxwell told you. I want you to tell me how you applied what John Maxwell said and how it changed your leadership. That's, so, so really what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the proof of your leadership before you start talking. This is what's amazing about Jesus. Jesus didn't just give us leadership principles. The proof is in the book. The proof is you are here today. He took 12 rat bag dudes from all different forms of life, tax collectors, fishermen, the sons of thunder. He took all these different guys and he was able to create a group with a traitor in there, a disloyal person that literally changed the world upside down. And you and I are sitting here because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and also the boldness of 11 disciples and all the other other people that heard the message of Jesus. The proof is in the pudding. Jesus was an unbelievable leader. He took these guys and he built into them. And so we can see that Jesus was amazing. And this was his approach to leadership. He said this in Matthew 20, verse 25. He said, but Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the world lord it over their people. So he's telling us now what not to do. He said, the rulers, they lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. I loved, I love the forcefulness of Jesus here. He's saying, this is what the world does. Uh, They lord it, they flaunt it. You know, you can read into that. They're manipulating with it. They're controlling with it. But he looks at them and he says, but you, it will be different. Not it should be different. Not it could be different. It is, it will be different, which means this. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ and a leader, you must act like this, ready? Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many." Jesus makes it so clear here. The world operates this way. But if you want to be my follower, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, if you want to be a Christian person, then the way you lead, it's got to be totally different. We got This is where we get to it. It's the upside down of the kingdom. Messes us all up. If you want to be blessed, give away what you have. If you want to be a leader, be a servant. It doesn't make sense to hear, but it makes sense to hear. Jesus says it, if you want to be first, man, you got to be a slave, you got to be last. How does that even make sense? And then he makes it personal again. Jesus, son of man, didn't come to be served, but to serve. And what did he do? He proved that statement when he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Anytime he could have called down the 10,000 angels, anytime that he could have come and and, and, and whisked off the Roman guards that were beating him, the Jewish people that were spitting on him and cursing, any time the angels could have come. But he allowed himself to go to the cross. Why? Because he came to this earth to serve. True biblical leadership is not aspiring to be a leader. It's aspiring to make a difference. Great man Kevin Meyer said this, leaders should want far more for their people than from their people. That's servant leadership. So how does this impact our behaviors as Christians that are called to leadership? Uh, The purpose of a servant is to do your master's will. That's the purpose. The purpose of a servant, the whole existence of a servant is to do the will of the master. And and this is where people kind of get this servant leadership a little bit mixed up because we think that as we are serving people uh, that the people that we serve become our masters uh, it, it it's 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 not jesus is our master Right? So whatever we do in life, in fact, in, in Colossians, I think it's Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes about how whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You, so you don't serve your boss, you're actually serving Jesus. Great concept if you have the world's worst boss, huh? Come on, who here has the world's worst boss? Put up your hand. If any of my staff put up their hand, I'm going, <laughs> you will not feel it on Tuesday. No, right. You don't have to put up your hand. But you get what I'm saying. How, how do people, how do Christians survive working for tough bosses sometimes? You know what? It's when they get the revelation that their boss isn't their master, but Jesus is their master. And so as I serve, even from a position of leadership, as I serve those that would, that would seem below me in a position of leadership, I am able to be a servant to them because they are not my master. Jesus is my master. What does it look like to serve people? It looks like sharing the gospel of Jesus with them, like making disciples loving and caring for the needs of people. When we see Jesus as our master, the response of those that we are serving does not determine our level of desire to serve them. What does that mean? What does that statement mean? It means this is that if we see people as our masters, if they hurt us, if they reject us, then we'll stop serving people because we're hurt. We're rejected. We feel pain. But if we see Jesus as our master, we'll realize, hold on a second. He never rejected me. He's never hurt me. He never left me. He's always been with me. And so I can continue to serve those that that might not even like what I'm doing, but I can do it because I'm not doing it for their approval. I'm doing it for his approval. So all those super spiritual people, I love it. They go, you know, we're just worshiping for an audience of one, right? (laughs) Apologies if you have tweeted that recently or put it on your Facebook. But you know what I'm saying? It's that idea of, well, it's just about God. And let me tell you, you need this. If you're going to deal with people, especially in church, which I actually want all of you to do. I want all of you to step up in the church. If you're going to deal with people in church, church is one of the toughest places to lead because you expect Christians to be nicer. I've been hurt so many times by people that I lead. A lot. I got a lot of stories I could tell. I'll just tell one. Uh, it happened a long time ago, not in the Philippines. Don't try and work out who it is. I'm not looking at any one of you like it's you at all. But there was this young guy once, Kate and I were youth pastors, and great young kid, unbelievable potential, really gifted, really talented, just a nice kid. And we took over the youth group, and, uh, and, and I had to make a call on who would take on the music, the, the worship in the youth. And, and so it was between this guy and another guy, and this guy thought he had all the saying he should have done it. But I just saw the heart on this kid, so I gave it to him. This guy got really angry. This kid just did a really great job. You know, worship really began to grow and explode in our youth. The presence of God was, was really there. I love this kid. He was worship leading in, in our main church as well. And One day he, he called me, and it's the call you never want to get. It's, it's the James, my dad just died. And he was crying on the phone. And uh, I said, where are you? He goes, I just heard I'm about to go to the hospital. So I, I jumped in my car, raced down to the hospital. And, and I remember I was, I was in uh, the room with him uh, in, in this little room, like this, uh, this morgue room. And it was just me and him. And I was holding him physically up as we were just looking at his dad there. And, and he was just crying. Uh, you know, it was very tough, but, but those next couple of weeks really helped. The family process, it was really there. Uh, uh, you know the Dad died, so the mom was left with all this stuff i 'd had a background in financial advice, and so I was able to help their family work out the insurance, uh, work out their pension, all that kind of stuff, how to make house payments, and redo their interest and and you know it was just there that the Sunday after uh, he was this young boy was scheduled to uh, 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 sing back in vocal on the team, and I said, "Hey, listen, take the Sunday off you know." You, dad just died he goes no no i really i really want to do it so he got up and i was playing piano i was sitting i'll never forget i'm sitting on the stage here and i'm looking across and and we sang this song and he began to sing out he goes because you're with me i will not fear and i am just bawling i remember i'm crying and bawling as he's singing this song this is a great kid you know a couple years went by and life began to happen and you know he began to carry some things and uh, maybe you know began to carry some offenses different things that different people happen and and, you know, the relationship just deteriorated a little bit until it got to the point where uh, he sent me a, an email uh, that he was leaving the church. But, I mean, I mean, I've had a lot of emails, but this email was one of the best. And and it, he just laid out for me everything that was wrong with me, every wrong decision I'd ever made, uh, all these different things. And, and it, uh, you know, all all his friends, all their problems, like, I mean, it was a... It was a very exhaustive uh, email of everybody's issues except his own. And, and I remember reading it, and I was really heartbroken reading it. Some people think us pastors are just like, you know, s- superhumans, right? Superheroes, you know, that we can lift really heavy weights. Um, some of us can. Uh, but. But, but pastors hurt a lot. Some people just think pastors don't hurt. We, we have emotions and feelings. And, and, and reading this email, I was really hurt. I remember I was really hurt. And I, was, and I remember having a conversation with the Lord and just going, God, what's the point of me doing what I'm doing when this is the result? I'm freaking with this, I'm with this kid in the hospital. I'm loving, I'm helping, I'm doing, and this is the crap you get. You know, can we just be real for a second, right? Anyone else ever felt like this? Like I'm sitting there, and it was in that moment that I just felt with the Lord going, hey, who are you serving? Are you serving this kid as your master, or am I your master? And God really did something in me in that moment, and And the reason why I'm still here today, and let me tell you, from that moment until now, there's been lots of other things that have happened. People that have gotten this or that or everything like that because life is life and, and people go through things and stuff happens. But every single time it hasn't, it hasn't killed me. Some of it has rocked me, but it hasn't killed me. Why? Because I'm called to serve those who God has given me because God is my master. And regardless of how they treat me and regardless of how they look at me and regardless of what they do in me, I know that Jesus is my master and they may hate me, but he doesn't. They may not like what I did, but I know he's proud of me. They may leave, but he never left. Servant leadership. I want to make it really clear in our church. We are a servant leadership church. There is nothing that I have asked any person to do in our church that I haven't done. The only thing that I haven't done is, is led um, the prison ministry from inside the prison because I haven't gone to jail yet. That's the only thing in our church that I haven't done yet. And I hope I don't go to jail, Kate, in the future um, <laughs> But everything else, I asked people to put out the chairs. Why? Because I put out the chairs. I've asked people to get on the production to help. Why? Because I got on the production. In our church, we want to be a servant leadership church. You don't serve the pastor or the leader in your church. You serve Jesus. He is our master. And it allows us then to be able to serve and to lead people. And it doesn't matter about your title or your position, which leads me to my second point today, which is this. Biblical leadership is about your heart, not title. It's about your heart, not title. Now, this point needs to be preached all over the world. I understand that. But I think it really needs to be preached here in the Philippines, why? We love title and position. We love separating classes. We do it so well, we've named them, A, B, C, D, E. We literally separate people by classes. And we treat people differently, unfortunately, based on their class. Title and position, it's esteemed here in the Philippines. And unfortunately, this spirit that's so prevalent in the world has not just crept into the church, it's violently entered into the church. And in the Filipino church, which I have grown up in, and I have the authority to say this, we put so much esteem on title and position and not enough on the heart. Biblical leadership and influence must reflect a humbled heart rather than rely on a title. Let's look at Jesus. Again, we're going back To the OG here. We're going back to to the greatest leader. John 13, it gives us this amazing story. Uh, Many many of you may have heard it, of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. It's the night before he's going to get crucified. They've rented the upper room. They're having dinner there, and and this is what happens in verse 2. It says, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his feet. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. Now, now before I go on, I I just need just this one sentence. He knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God with that knowledge of how good, how big, how great he was. He then proceeded to go and do the most humbling of acts in the Jewish culture at the time. He had an argument with Peter. Peter's like, no, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Peter lost that argument. And we pick it up in verse 12. And this is what it says. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Isn't this just the the most amazing example of the heart of a servant leader. And it's really interesting what Jesus says in this next little bit of scripture. Cause he says, hey, you call me, you know, teacher and Lord, and so you should. Being a servant leader doesn't mean that you have no title or position. That, that's not what it is. Jesus is like, yo, that is my title. And uh, yeah, you should call me it. But what Jesus was trying to bring their attention to, he wasn't trying to implement a new religious experience that they had to do now, where all of a sudden, every time you meet with each other, every time you go to church, you got to wash each other's feet. Why? Because we don't really see it anywhere else in the New Testament. So Jesus wasn't trying to implement this thing that now every Sunday you come to Crown, Pastor James gets down, hello po, wash your feet, hello po, wash your feet. It's not that. Jesus was trying to make a point about the heart Behind what he did in Jewish in in Jewish culture in the biblical times, uh, people would wash their feet more than they would wash their body. Sometimes they would go days without actually washing their body. But because they would walk everywhere and it was dusty roads and it was a Mediterranean kind of hot atmosphere, they would wear sandals and their feet would become dirty and gunky. And so when they would sit down for dinner, they would have a servant that would come and would begin to wash their feet. It was was almost like that was the sign of cleanliness. Could you imagine this picture? Now, you know me by now, you know I love to visualize the Bible. Can you imagine this picture? They're all sitting there, they're all chilling right? They're all eating. It's the last supper. They don't know it's the last one, but it's there. And, uh, and, and whoever booked the upper room forgot to book the servant as well to come and to wash the feet. And, but, but no one moves. No one does anything. They're just enjoying. And then Jesus gets up and gets down and begins to wash the feet. Could you imagine how awkward that is? Wouldn't that be like, oh man, Why? no, you, you can't. And then Peter actually says it. Jesus, don't wash. You can't do this you shouldn't be doing this to me. And, and he was right. In fact, the students uh, would sometimes wash the feet of the rabbi as a sign of respect. It was the other way around. Jesus said, no, I'm going to do it. So Peter's like, okay, Lord, but well then wash my whole body. Jesus is like, no, that's weird. I'm, I'm not going to touch your body. I'm just going to touch your feet. And, uh, and so Jesus, could you imagine the picture of these disciples looking around? This is the rabbi. Why? Why is he? How can he do this? Jesus was setting the most beautiful example. It's one of the most beautiful and confronting images of a leader whose heart is to serve people and not just be served. Jesus set us this example. It doesn't matter what your title is, what your position is, what class you are in in the Philippines. You have been called to serve people. It doesn't matter what your family name is. It doesn't matter what school you went to. You have been called to serve people. It doesn't matter where you live or how much you earn. You have been called to serve people. And I want to reaffirm something in our church that has been ingrained since the moment we started our church, me and Kate with three other people in a random condo in Ortigas, which is this. We are a classless church. Now, I'm not talking about class, like, you know, come on, I got some class on me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the class system that we have in the Philippines, A, B, C, D, E. So prevalent in the Philippines the way we treat different people in the class. And in our church, let me tell you, in our church, we don't see class. I don't care where you live. I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you went to school or what school you went to. When you come up that escalator, if you're watching online, when you log in, when you come in the room, your title is now child of God. It doesn't matter where you came from. I don't care if you got real Gucci or Green Hills Gucci. Neither does Jesus. Doesn't matter where you came from. You will be judged, not by your title or position, but you'll be judged by your heart in this church. Some of y'all just freaked out. They'll judge me? Yes, by your heart, which is what the Bible tells us to do. That's so you'll be judged. I don't care where you come from. You'll be judged by your heart. We have hundreds of stories of hundreds of people that I could share about in our church, but I've only got time for one. So I'm going to tell the story of a girl in our church called Cherry Moran. Cherry is uh, along with her husband, Ray. Uh, Her and Ray are really special to me and Kate because Cherry and Ray were the very first people, the very first people to sign on to Favor Church before our church even started. Ray and I were friends uh, from childhood. His parents were, uh, were in my parents' church in Las Pinas many, many years ago. And so he was actually my first childhood friend that I had. And So when Kate and I came back here on vacation, we reconnected with them and, and uh, we met his wife for the first time. And, and uh, when we started, you know, when we announced that we were starting a church, they, they called us straight away and said, we, we want to be involved. And, uh, you know, I knew Ray from when I was a child, but really we hadn't hung out since we were five years old. So really it was like connecting with him again for the first time and, and, uh, and really meeting Cherry. And got to understand something about Cherry. Cherry is like, Cherry, Cherry. Cherry is boss woman, right? Like, I don't, and many of you know who she is. Cherry is boss woman. This girl is like executive like, she, she is just, like, she will, she will kill you with her eyes, right? Like, she is that, she, like, when we had our information night, right, before we even started the church, we just had an information night. She was one of the top, top executives of Coca-Cola at the time. She's been headhunted multiple times since. Uh, she was one of the top, she wrote to, to some of her staff, about 20 of her staff, and said, hey, we have this information night at our church because we're starting a new church. I expect to see you there. We had 20 people from Coke walk into our information. I, I thought it was a revival. Lord, give us the Coca-Cola, right? And um, they didn't come back, but at least they came for that one night. And, and so then we started our, our connect groups, and Cherry was there. And you got to understand, this girl has hundreds of people literally under her. She's dealing with billion peso accounts, multiple billion peso accounts. And, and when we started the church, she was in charge of ordering the pizza from Shakey's. This girl, this girl who outside of our church had everyone doing everything for her. Driver, this third person, everything. You know, she's the type of girl that walks out, gets her nails done on the way to the office. You know what I'm saying? She's that type of level, right? She walks out, grabs the coffee from the hand. You know, people, hello, mom. Hello, mom. Hello, mom. You sell. You sell is our CFO of the church. He's the big dog of our church. You sell. Used to work for Cherry still afraid of her to this day. They're both on the board together. They're equals on the board, and he still says, yes, mom, Cherry. No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. But Yusel, who is our CFO, came because Cherry made him come. So she's calling up shakies. It was awesome. Every time they got the order wrong, man, she'd be on that phone, do you know who I am? We start doing little mini gatherings. She's putting out chairs leading worship, doing whatever she can, starts a connect group with her and her husband, Ray. They, they start doing this connect group with each other. They do so well, it multiplies like seven times. They get angry. They're like, James, you, you, you keep multiplying. I go, well, you keep being a good leader. Stop it. Be manipulative or controlling or something. Stop it. I didn't say that. I was so happy they were good. They just did whatever. She just did whatever. And, and people would meet her, and you'd never know who she was outside of church. She would come and talk to anyone. And one of the things that's been so beautiful about our church is from the beginning of our church, we've had no class system. We've had people from welfare, and we've had the rich and famous, and everyone in between. And it doesn't matter who you are. We love you. And also, because of Green Hills, we don't know if it's real or fake. <laughs> so we love you. And Cherry would love every person that would come in. We opened our building at Shangala. Remember, Cherry Wave has been here since the beginning of the church. She's on the board, she's the secretary of the board, serves so faithfully and with such wisdom and grace. And our first opening night of our building in Shangri La, we, we, we doubled 250% in attendance in one night. It's unbelievable. Huge night. It was amazing. The whole room was packed in. And I remember looking across, and, and I remember this because this came up as a Facebook memory just a couple of weeks ago because it was the third anniversary of when our, our building opened. Don't you love Facebook memories? Well, you either love them or you hate them. It depends if you put on weight or if you lost weight, right? or you know, if you broke up with her or not. Uh, and so this Facebook memory comes up, and it was this photo. In fact, do we have the photo? Oh, neck fat. Why? Um... <laughs> This is, oh, it's a struggle, everyone. It's a struggle. It's real. This is the photo that came up. And I remember I actually, I actually uh, saw this photo. I didn't take this photo, but I saw it. This is our our photo of the first night of our new building in Shangri-La. Why I love this photo is because if there was two people that deserved to be sitting on the front row right there in a position of honor, in a place of honor, it was the two people that signed on to the church when we had nothing and no one. It was the two people that believed that these crazy white people from Australia and this guy that says he's a Filipino but can't speak Tagalog and he's white, that, that he actually believes that he can help change and influence his nation. And so they deserve the front, not just the front row, they deserve someone massaging them on their back whispering, you're amazing, you're great. I don't know, they that's what they deserve. But you know what happened? We had so many people come on that first night of church, we weren't expecting it, that right behind them in the front row, I don't even know who they are. I, they probably left the church. They were new people. And so you know what she did? Her and her husband, Ray, right there, got off their chair, gave it to the new person and sat in the front row for our very first service, just sat on the floor. Some of you're like, "Oh, what's the big deal? Who cares?" Well, come on, this is the Philippines. You know that's a big deal. If any of her staff had seen that, they would have freaked out. She didn't care. He didn't care. If I could bottle up Cherry and sell her to all the other churches, I'd be a rich man. One day I I my dream is that Cherry would come and work in our church. We can't afford her at all. She she she, we can't afford her. You just saw her financial statement the other day, we can't afford her, I wish one day. She actually heard me preach this this morning, I didn't tell her, and she texted me, she said, I can't believe you said that. She goes, I, I, I'm coming to work at Favor one day, I just need to get, get some businesses worked out. I said, good, praise the Lord. I said, because I'm not gonna pay you at all what you deserve, there's no chance no change. So here's the thing. I don't, want to make a, I don't want to make a big deal about Cherry, although I'm happy to actually really honor her. And I periodically honor her and Ray and another guy, Kevin, who was actually here in our first service today, because they came before anybody else. Some of you guys that have walked into Cran Plaza, this is easy. You're like, oh my God, the worship's amazing. It's so good. His promises are yes and amen. And you're like, wow. Let me tell you, his promises didn't seem like yes and amen five years ago when I'm playing the acoustic and Kate singing in the room and there's six people looking at us like death, right? <laughs> there was no promises and no amen those evenings. But so, so periodically, I actually just love to honor them for that. But, and, and, and so I don't think I could ever actually make too much of a big deal of them. You're here because of them, right? So I actually don't make, I can never make too much, but I don't want to go over too much about Cherry. What I want to do is I want to celebrate her heart. I want to celebrate a person that the world would say would demand this, but every time she walks into this, into this house, every time she leads, every time she does anything, she comes with a servant heart. That is biblical leadership. That is favor leadership. We are servant leaders in this house. Whether it's in the church or in your workplace or in your home or in your school we have been called to serve the master as we serve the people in just a moment we're going to pray and i'm going to pray about a few things and it's going to be really good but before we do that i want to give every person here an opportunity to actually encounter jesus you know when i Use the words, Jesus is our master. I'm serving my master. The, the reason why I can use that word is because when you talk about a master and a slave, the master owns the slave, right? That's, that's why they're a master and that's why they're a slave. And, and, uh, and Paul actually writes in the New Testament, he talks and he describes himself that he is now a slave slave to Christ. This beautiful picture, it's it's a horrible picture from, from the secular world of a slave and a master, but it's a beautiful picture if you think of, man, Jesus owns me. How do I get to a place where I can call Jesus my master, where he can have ownership of me? Well, you get there by acknowledging what he did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and he, he defeated the grave and rose victoriously, what he did was he made a way for you and for I to actually come now into relationship with God. It's amazing. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. It doesn't matter your class at all or where you sit financially. It's all about your heart it comes back to our heart humbly coming before God and acknowledging there's no way that I could get to God except through Jesus. I cannot be saved by anything other than his grace alone. Maybe you're here in this room. Maybe you're watching online right now and you've never made this decision before. Maybe you did this a long time ago and you know you're not walking, walking with Christ. I'm not asking if you had a bad week or made a couple of bad decisions. We all do that. But I'm asking you, you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that. Right now, can we all just bow our heads, close our eyes, all the way up to the back? So good to have so many people in church today. If you're watching online as well, you can do this too. And if you're saying, James, that's me. I've never done this before. I've never made this decision before, and I want to. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you in this room and online to lift your hand, raise your hand nice and high, because I want to pray for you right where you are. You're saying, James, that's me. I want to, I want to acknowledge what Jesus did. I want to ask him to forgive me of my sins. I want to start a relationship with God today. If that's you on the count of three, you lift your hands. One, two, three. Right now, all over this place. Awesome. Hands going up. Hands in the middle. Hands on the side. Hands in the front. Couple in the front. Here in the middle. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure there's people watching online that are responding as well, whether live or on replay later on. If you've lifted your hand, I want you to do this. I want you to put your hand on your heart. And we're going to pray a prayer. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says in the Bible that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so I want us to pray a prayer. We're all going to repeat this prayer. And it's a prayer reflecting that truth today. So come on, why don't you say these words with me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus... I come to you today, and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, but you rose victorious. So right now I ask, take ownership of my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In your wonderful name I pray, amen, amen. Can we give God praise for every person? Thank you so much for listening in. At Favorite Church, we're a family, and we believe that the Christian journey should not be done alone. If something really spoke to you from the message, we would love to connect with you to talk it over. Or if you prayed the salvation prayer, we'd also love to be able to share more about the decision that you've just made. Please visit us at favorite.church/next to learn more. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, simply tap on the share button and send it through. We love you. We're praying for you. Till next time.